Hello. Welcome to Mind and Movement, the podcast, where we discuss mindful movement through dance and through life. Welcome to the very last episode of season three. I am so grateful that I made it all the way here to three seasons. Um, That's pretty wild. And I do think that in the future, I will be uploading episodes sporadically because I do want to continue having conversations, especially because this episode today with Michelle Bird McPhee has been really, really inspiring and just reminded me of all the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast, which is to share really knowledgeable and profound insights with the world about dancing. In this episode, we talk about her journey, her reasons behind finding Ladies of Hip Hop, what Ladies of Hip Hop is, and its current impacts. And really, she's so knowledgeable and so wonderful, and I'm so grateful to have talked to her. Before we begin, here's some background information on Michelle. A tireless advocate for girls and women, Michelle Bird McPhee is the founder and executive director of Ladies of Hip Hop. Michelle has been working for over two decades to recontextualize hip hop spaces and conversations regarding sex, gender, and race. Under her direction, Ladies of Hip Hop cultivates dance environments that honor and acknowledge the roots of hip hop and the many creative pioneers who have shaped them. This is especially important given the way in which Black dance has been co-opted, appropriated with acknowledgement to its community cultural origins. Thank you so much for listening and let's get right into the episode. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. This is your host, Justine Wang, and today I am joined with Michelle Bird from Ladies of Hip Hop. Hello, welcome. Hi, Justine. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm so excited to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, Let's start with the first question, which is tell us your story. Ah, the the best one. The best one. (laughs) Um, no, it, I mean, I'm going to make it short cause it could be a really long story, but you know, I grew up dancing and listening to music with my family, uh, in particular, my mom and my uncles. Um, my mom was a dancer when, uh, she was younger in high school and things. Um, she stopped very young as well, just because, um, she had kids very young. So, mm. uh, you know, that, it's just, I, I like to talk about that because it's interesting as, you know, a kid growing up that she had things like ballet, modern and jazz in high school, you know, like they had that as school programming, you know, and then I grew up, you know, my mom had four kids by 28. So, you know, I was a single mother, you know, figuring it out, living life, you know, um, and she did an amazing job, you know, became an entrepreneur and, you know, that's a whole nother podcast that we don't have time for. But again, just, you know, to mention, because you can see the through line in, in, in her story and my story, I didn't have four kids, but in just in terms of entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and, and knowing how to do without actually having the blueprint. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so when I grew up, she, there weren't really any resources for me to take classes. And, you know, it, when school started cutting programming gym and and art and dance were the first things to go so when we talk about why kids you know um aren't active and all that stuff yeah i mean 
the, the, the devices are part of it. But honestly, like if you are, if, if that's a part of the way your life functions daily, it's not like you have to make an extra effort to do it. So it's not like an after school thing. Yeah. If it's, if it was part of the curriculum, you know, I think kids would be different, but anyway, I, I, I always get off on these tangents, but that's okay. Um, you know, I, so, you know, I just grew up dancing, just watching, you know, dance programming on TV. So it was PBS, which is, you know, public television and they had all these like masterpiece theater. And, you know, so I would see like Alvin Ailey and um, Mikhail Baryshnikov doing the Nutcracker and all these like amazing, like stellar, um, you know, arts programs that you, they used to broadcast for free. And, and I was obsessed, you know, and besides growing up, you know, with my family and watching my mom and my uncle in particular, you know, they used to do the Philly hustle and, you know, they just knew all the dances and I would learn from them. And my other uncle was a DJ at a radio station in Philly called WDAS. And so I grew up in a household that had, um, you know, records wall to wall. Cause my mom would just, she was, you know, she was a collector before that was a thing, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of music and dance, there was nothing kind of in my life that I didn't do without it. And so it just became the thing that I wanted to do. Um, I wasn't the greatest student. I'm not, I was, I didn't flunk out or anything. I just wasn't the greatest student because I didn't have so much guidance. You know, my mom was busy trying to figure her life out and make a, make a living for us. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, being the oldest girl became, by default, the caregiver for my siblings, you know? So I spent a lot of time in charge at a very young age, mm. cooking dinner, cleaning the house, that kind of thing, which I also, you know, and later in life, you realize like, you know, how much those things have kind of like they've uh, set you up. And also they determine, you know, I, I think sometimes um, the kind of person you become as an adult. And so mm. You know, um, getting just jumping forward and get, laying that foundation and jumping forward. I didn't have any dance training. I knew I wanted to go to school for dance. I really didn't want to go to school for anything else. I didn't go to school. Um, my mom made me go to school for cosmetology because she had a salon. Um, mm. And so that was, you know, my that was to be my path. But it wasn't what I wanted to do. But it did help me, you know, um, Cause I left home pretty early, even though I didn't go to college, I still moved out and but it helped me pay, you know, for rent and things. And, and as a kind of extended way that I participated in music and dance with my family, I found the club and I found, you know, dancers and stuff that became my dance family. And, you know, that was my training ground, the club house music, hip hop music, you know, funk, you know, soul, all of the things. Cause back then there was, there, it wasn't house music. It was all just club music and you would go and they would play, if it was a good DJ, they play everything, you know? So you'd hear something from like Stevie mm. Wonder to, you know, early house music, like 10 city and, um, Kenny Bobian and, and early masters at work. And even before then, you know, so like, uh, but disco, you know, very often, I feel like people leave that out in the, in the conversation about, you know, um, club music and house music. Cause it, you know, people just don't realize like when you went out before it was just a good DJ would play anything to get the crowd moving. And that's what I kind of enjoy. Cause that's how I grew up, you know, listening to all types of music and dancing and stuff. So, you know, I, I couldn't figure it out, but I, I, it was, I was 24 and I was like, I gotta go to school. I gotta figure my life out. And, um, I had, uh, uh, someone helped me apply to go to college and I went, 
you know, I got into Temple, which I was like, what? You know, because I, <laughs> I didn't have that path mm. of, you know, um, uh, of an academic student because, you know, I know I didn't want to be that kind of student. And also I just didn't have that kind of support in my um, in my school. You know, it wasn't they didn't really encourage us to really like do anything, you know, so. I uh, got in, went to Temple. I was a PT, a major originally, uh, physical therapy. But okay. then uh, my counselor was like, you're really, really good at social sciences. And um, have you ever considered like social work or public health? And so I ended up getting a degree in public health, coming out of undergrad, working as a social worker. But I always, always had, as a as a, a woman and a girl growing up and being responsible for, you know, watching my mom struggle and how hard she had to work. I always had women's issues close to my heart. So as a social worker, I had a job doing women working welfare to work. So they would get, you know, job training or help them take their GED or whatever they needed to like make that transition from welfare to work. And then I left that job and went into um, what they call um, uh transitional housing. So it's women making the transition from shelters to housing with their kids. And so, you know, I spent probably the first four or five years out of college doing that. Um, It's a very taxing job emotionally. Um, You know, it just was a lot and I was trying to dance. And so, you know, I kind of kept trying to figure out how to get closer to the arts world. And I was dancing in clubs and stuff and had started at that time getting hired to like do club jobs and stuff. Um, I performed with, you know, who a lot of people know now is a is a kind of a house guy, um, Victor Duplay, um, who is my friend Victor Cook from from Philly. But, you know, he was putting out a lot of house music back then. And I was one of his dancers and working with him on performance and stuff. And so it was really cool. It was like, it was, it's amazing, you know, and just being out and trying to work in dance and realizing I didn't have the training. I was like, what am I going to do? No one's ever going to let me dance for them. Cause I don't know how to count. I don't know how to choreograph. Like I didn't even know what that stuff was until I started to look into programs. And it's like, you know, you have to create and choreograph a piece and you have to. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's not going to work. So <laughs> I basically started, I called up a friend who I knew had that training and I started um, an all female hip hop company. I was like, listen, I need you to do the things like help me learn how to count and choreograph, but I'll do the business. And um, I incorporated us, eventually made us into a nonprofit and was applying for grants all without any formal training in any of that stuff and not even really aware of what that world meant, you know, um, and so that kind of is the start. And it, just to talk about, that was a montage performing arts company. It was the name of the company. And my co-founder with me, my friend that I called up was uh, Crystal Frazier. Um, and just to, cause I know this is a long response. No, I and, love it. Continue. Just to move forward to Ladies of Hip Hop. During that time when we would audition dancers, you know, number one, I, I knew that I knew all these like amazing women that were, you know, club dancers that weren't really teaching. And I had already started bringing Marjorie down to train uh, my company in house. Marjorie Smart, rest, may she rest, um, a really good friend of mine who passed. And mm-hmm. a, I mean, a dance icon in street dance, um, just an amazing mover, period, and an amazing human. And 
you know, those unofficial trainings, I realized, you know, more women wanted to come and I kind of wanted it to be a thing. And so I think the first Ladies of Hip Hop was in 2004, um, the official, like with a flyer and people, you know, like, here's a, you know, come out, it's an event. Um, it started out just as a weekend of workshops and I had um, Honey Rockwell uh, brought Tweet Boogie, who uh, we had just like recently met right before then. And then um, my partner was the other teacher. So we originally started with three teachers just doing a weekend of, of workshops. And then, you know, it just grew into this festival, adding things, you know, every other year, probably adding another element that we wanted to include just to give a more holistic picture of what it's like to participate in hip hop culture. Um, and so, yeah, that's, and now 18 years later, <laughs> um, you know, Lazy Hip Hop is about to, we're about to do our 18th year. And, and it's it's taking me far beyond anything I've ever imagined. Um, you know, it became a catalyst for me to go back to school. So this is a person who my grad, my, my, um, my counselor in high school was like, what are you going to do? Cause you're definitely not going to college. So, you know, for me to go and return back to school and get a master's degree and then, you know, fast yes. forward more and, you know, I'm teaching, I'm a, I'm a, you know, a fellow and a teaching fellow. And then, you know, I, I did, I, I, I'll, I can say it on the podcast because it, you know, things shift, life shifts, and we'll talk about this probably, but yes. I got in, I got into a program, a dance program at NYU, and I'm not going, I'm deferring because I got another big opportunity to partner with someone that I can't announce yet. But, um, you know, I think I've made smart decisions and followed the road, even though the path might not have been the straight path. You know, I think I just, I have you know, shifted and turned and, and done all kinds of things that have been presented to me, um, just as a, okay, why not? You know, and, you know, maybe I can learn something that I can then take back to, you know, what I love to do. And that's always been my approach. I was a production manager at Brooklyn Academy of Music. I worked, um, in TV on Seth Meyers. I was a music coordinator on that show. Oh my gosh. And I learned so much about production being in TV and like large scale, like Brooklyn Academy of Music is one of the biggest nonprofit arts organizations in this country. And to work as a production manager for them, had it really did change the trajectory of like how I understand to produce events and um, just how to conduct business, you know, in every way, shape or form. So, yeah, um, yeah it's been an interesting ride and I'm obviously still going. So. First of all, that was so inspiring to hear, like just all the different things that you've done, where you're at now. And man, like that's wild as a as somebody who's like so much younger. It's like, oh, my God, like there's a life after 25. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. That's a great statement. Um, but um, tell me a little bit more. So about like ladies of hip hop. So how it started, which was the festival at first. Um, what's the progress has been? And then like, what is it now? Yeah. Um, so I touched on that a little bit. Um, Laser Hip Hop started actually just as uh, classes. So the festival wasn't even on the end at yet. Um, it was just Laser Hip Hop. And it was those three women who came down. I brought them. Well, my, my partner lived in Philly, but I brought the two other women from New York 
uh, to Philly, you know, Honey Rockwell, which is a who is a pioneering B girl, and Tweet Boogie, who is a pioneering hip hop dancer and still working very much, um, one of the best that's ever done it. Um, if you haven't taken a class with her and you're doing hip hop, you're doing you might be doing it wrong. I'm not gonna say you are, but you might be. Or it would just, you know, I think it would be something that would feed your soul as a hip hop dancer. She's quite amazing, um, just as a as a as a dancer and a human. And I think, you know, more people should know about her for sure. And I mean, don't get me wrong. People know who she is. She's got more followers than me, truly. So, um, <laughs> but I just mean like, it should be part of people's journey to like, you know, seek her out and, you know, just spend some time with her in a class or otherwise, cause she's really funny. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, the, the, how it switched over to the festival was that we hit our five year mark of me doing this event of, uh, bringing teachers down and, uh, and at that mark, I was like, I want to do something different. I wanted to do like a market and have visual artists and have all female DJs and performances. And, you know, I really, that's when it started to like escalate, um, at five years. And then from then on, it's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. So that's kind of, um, you know, the growth of it was never started out. Like, you know how people start things out now? They're like, yeah, such and such festival or this event. And it was never started out of that. It was started really with the desire to kind of pair these amazing women that I knew that, you know, I was just like, these are untapped resources. And also like, y'all should know these, uh, these women, y'all should know them. You should, we should be learning from them. I love dancing with guys. I have some of my favorite dancers are men and they have taught me so much. You know, a lot of the power movement and floor work that I used to do, I learned right in the clubs from dancing with the guys that, you know, in the clubs. But I also do think that is something to be said about how I changed as a dancer when Marge came in my, you know, in, in my stratosphere. You know, mm-hmm. she she's like this bigger than life kind of. Um, personality that's just also very intimate kind of per, you know person to connect to and she shares all of that and and she just walked in this like divine femininity that was just still as powerful as any guy if not more you know what I mean yes and that, that was the reality because I always had this like you know my mom had a modeling she she was a di- designer too and still does design and you know lives her life in retirement designing for me as she designed some costumes for us to perform at, uh, at the Guggenheim, uh, about a, a month ago. Um, but she also designs for other people, but she growing up again, like you always looking back to see how, where you get things from and how things connect. She had an all female modeling group called 24 Carat, And it was the first time, like I had come in contact really like on a personal level with women of so many different backgrounds. She had like an Italian American, Asian American, black girls, like chocolate, chocolate, black girls, you know, light skin, biracial, all this stuff. And this is, this is the environment. Like we look at pictures and I'm sitting holding like one of my siblings and it's like all of these, this like, you know, multicultural, multi-ethnic, group of women around me. And I know that that was, you know, why I kind of seek that out and had that ability to kind of build that stuff. It's just because that was what I, you know, was the norm for me. And so, you know, ladies of hip hop for me was about family, you know, it's about bringing women together. And then it, then the, uh, the other parts of it, like 
loving to do the business, the entrepreneurial stuff, the nonprofit stuff, the grant writing, like sitting down and like, I never thought I was never that student. It was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to write a paper or I'm going to write a grant and talk about impact and talk about, you know, purpose and intersection and talk about race and gender. What? <laughs> like if I could find that counselor right now, like, and just sit a stack of papers that I've written, like, you know, for graduate school and just, you know, for other things that I've been part of, or even send him this podcast, yes. you know, it would be, I just, that would just be the, the icing on the cake with the cherry on top for me, you know, like, um, cause it was never destined. It was never supposed to be in the cars for me that way. And so, you know, through connecting with other women and through having that like foundation growing up, I think, you know, it really did, you know, bring me to where I am today in terms of, you know, career and all of those things. Yeah. So it sounds like there was a lot of like inspirational women in your life. And then you were able to create a platform to also just give women the platform that they deserve. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so now like what is um, I guess like because it started as classes and now it's festivals, like what else is Ladies of Hip Hop doing? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. Okay. <laughs> got some good ones. Um, so, you know, I we're back now to um, our title and, and the way that we are doing business is, is not as Ladies of Hip Hop, just because I don't want to be tied only to the festival. We do have programming outside of that. And I think that's very important for us to make known um, because, you know, sometimes things can kind of back you into a space that, you know, uh, everyone thinks that that is, that's how you, I guess, build success or that's what it should be. And, you know, so we have other programming that's like our, our girls of hip hop, which is our free programming for girls. Um, we haven't been able to do it in person as much yet because we did it. We started it during the pandemic, even though it was something that we had in the works way before that. But, you know, being restricted to that space, what we did was just offer free classes online and it went well. And people were like, yo, when are you going to do this again? And so, you know, that programming is, is about to happen as well as um, we do something called the, I do something called the artist toolkit, which is basically working with other dance artists to help them prepare for whatever it is that they want as a, a career in dance. So thinking of it as a career and then also thinking beyond that and, you know, be, being more well-rounded, walking into the space, whether it's you want to work in the industry or you want to work in what we call the underground, which is no longer underground, but um, whether you want to work in commercial work or you want to stay kind of, you know, in the battle event kind of space or a nonprofit space, um, or you are interested in other things like production and, um, you know, make it, you know, building your own thing. Like, what does that mean running your own company? And so Artist Toolkit is there to help as much as we can because we have limit, limited resources and there's only one of me. Um, I can only do small, small cohorts and very often do one-on-one -on -one kind of coaching with folks. Um, but we're working on getting that to, you know, like getting a partner to make that more um, of a regular thing. And it's, it's in particular for our communities, right? Because not everyone's going to go to college, especially now. It doesn't matter what your background is, you know, it's just like 
I mean, when I went to school, it's astronomical. I'll be paying for my student loan debt forever. And, you know, these kids are smart. <laughs> these kids are smarter in ways that they're like, they understand the problem with debt. Um, and then also there is, um, it, depending on how, how well you, you know, are able to figure out exactly what it is you want to do or what you want to do for now is what I say. Um, you can build your own website. You, you know, like all of this stuff that I struggled to do. Like I taught myself Dreamweaver. I taught myself Photoshop and Dreamweaver is like one of the early programs that would convert HTML or convert, you know, mm -hmm. you putting stuff something to HTML. It's like, I can't even believe I used to do that stuff. And now everything is like an app. It's, 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 I wouldn't say it's easy because you still, they're still learning to be, you know, I think we, we, we say too quickly that, oh, things are so easy. You know, they're not easy. There's still a learning curve and it's, and it also is not easy because it's more competitive, right? Because now everyone has access as opposed to, you know, only a few people, you know, being able to figure it out and, and no one wanting to share and, you know, that kind of thing. So i I feel like, you know, uh, I, I, I feel like what Ladies of Hip Hop is, is really looking to do at this point is find ways to give back um, as much as we can. Yes. Right. And and that means like, how do we do that? I, I th I'm thinking about a space, you know, am I are we doing a center? Um, maybe, I would love to see that, you know, maybe um, I mean, you never know. And then. Uh, we have the dance collective now. So Ladies of Hip Hop Dance Collective, you know, again, it all started out for my, with my love of dance. And as much as I love doing the business side, it definitely has taken over and it took over my ability to kind of be an mm -hmm. artist. Um, and, you know, because if you're running up a, a nonprofit, small or not, it is all encompassing in terms of like how much it takes up your time just to survive, you know? And so, and we're, it's not even like we're getting that many grants, you know, most of this stuff is, is self-funded and the most grants that we've gotten have been in the last year and they're all small grants, like all under $5,000, you know, a couple thousand here, 1500, which is fine. I mean, and, and anything helps, <clears throat> excuse me, but, you know, the, you're talking about a festival that cost me forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a year to produce, you know, and I was funding that all out of my oh pocket. My and then whatever money I got back, I got back, which was never what I put out, you know. So I always had to maintain a full time, full time wow. job in order to for that, you know, so it's just, it's just a, it's, it's interesting. And I think, you know, within the last year, because, you know, I'm a mother and my son is now grown and a junior in college, actually just finished his junior year in college. And so, you know, I, I, I've just in the last couple of years, it's like, yes, and I'm working for all these other people. I had started back working in the nonprofit world and basically off of the reputation that I had built doing the stuff that I was doing, these organizations really didn't want my input. They really didn't want me to actually, you know, like do anything, you know, but they love to hear my ideas and they love to put me in grants proposals because it looks good, yeah. you know, white led white founded organizations that have now found hip hop were looking for their hip hop, you know, kind of staff, and I became one of those people for a couple different nonprofits. And then I just got to the point where I was like, I am too much of a resource and I know too much. And if I turn 
if I, if I just take everything that I know and do for everyone else and put that into laser hip hop, we can really do some amazing things. I can get back to the artistry. And so, you know, I formed a company right before the pandemic and, uh, you know, believe it or not, we did have some opportunities in the pandemic. And so, you know, we ended up going into a couple residencies and then coming out and doing something uh, in Lincoln Center, the library, the New York Public Library in there. Wow. They allowed us to do a little short dance film. And then the same project, which is called Black Dancing Bodies, which is a project focusing on Black women in hip hop. Um, we were able to create a show under you know, my artistic direction. I choreographed a couple pieces. I wrote in, you know, in terms of what the piece should be, a couple of solos for dancers that I, you know, wanted to to um, kind of make make a vision come to life. And then collectively, um, you know, we had some other collective work that was part of it. So, you know, I mean, it's been a roller coaster ride, yeah. I would say in the last like, three or four years. Um, it's been, I think, five years since I've left and was just like, yeah, I'm just going to do me and figure it out. I'll, I'll find a way to make money. And then here comes the fellowship and I create a course, Women in Hip Hop in the world. And, uh, you know, it's just That's been. Sick. Yeah. Yeah. So laser hip hop is up to lots yes, of stuff. <laughs> I love it. Um, I think like in, you know, when like um, people who are in like in their 20s, in their 30s, um, especially from the SoCal like Asian dance community, I feel like most of us are like, oh, like there's only like one path of or two paths of dance success. You either like become like a backup dancer or um, you like teach internationally. So like being able to hear that there's so much more out there um, yeah. is so great. Cause I feel like we just don't know like what else is there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, and, and even to, to speak a little bit more about that and, you know, I think now there's two, three paths and, and two of those you just talked about. And the other path is like create my own, which is also great. Um, but I think there's one thing that we miss and lack as a collective community is that and what I love about Arnell yes. and um, and Jackie and these people who are understand the importance of working get together in partnership. You know, like I would love if in, instead of women recreating what laser hip hop is and not out of competition, but if if you brought if you came to me with those skills and desire to like continue to basically live the same mission, right? Um, which is to empower women through this culture in, you know, in a short, um, you know, preserve, you know, document all of those things. But in a short, we're really just empowering each other to to sell and celebrating what we love. Um, we could really create, you know, like these massive kind of uh, arts organizations that employ people like I, I like we need to create this sustainability. Yes. And if you have if we have this model of like every human that is like, I believe in that mission. So I'm going to do the same thing. That's really like not how communities work. And, and a reason why a lot of cultural communities that don't have that overarching idea of like cooperative thinking and cooperative work. Um, cause then that doesn't limit you. Like I have a bunch of dancers in our collective that, um, I invited to this other lab 
that I'm running that has nothing to do with ladies of hip hop and it's for them to do their own work. So it's not necessarily about shutting down anything that you want to do, but it's about like how we, we need to, we need to create sustainability within our company through partnership and building together. And this is why people like Arnell and Jackie, you know, are just so necessary and, and great for our community. Latasha Barnes is also another one of those people. Like she's on a rocket ship, <laughs> just doing amazing things in dance, but she's also like a chair at our, on our board. And every time she's speaking and being invited to speak, you know, about all the things she does. And she's like, oh, and I'm the chair for Ladies of Hip Hop, which is this great organization that does this, blah, 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 blah. Doesn't take any shine away from her, you know? Um, it gives a little people, oh, like, what's this Ladies of Hip Hop? Let me look this thing up, you know? Um, and and just creates like this really strong foundation of like everybody's thing, you know? And so I think that's one thing that our, our culture is still missing. What do you think? Why do you think that? Like, why are we missing the cooperative like spirit? You know, girl, how deep you want to go? Yo, we can part? go real deep. <laughs> I think that if we really want to talk about that, we have to talk about the, the way that this country was founded Absolutely. and functioned. And the way because cultural forms are are typically from people of color and from people who are oppressed, because all that greatness comes out of somebody trying to shut you down and make you be quiet and, you know, trying to tear you down, you know, uh, bit by bit. And so I think personally, the way in which if you just look at and in, in, in the way in which they kept in, in slavery alive in this country and kept people enslaved is by not allowing them to form bonds and not allowing them to to build together, right? So you 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 find a partner, you have a family, and what do they do? Separate all three of you to create drama and to create trauma. And I think absolutely that trauma is passed on and that way of living is passed on. Um, and that way that that thought is passed on. And you can see it in things um uh, and I can't think of the town now, but, um, you know, the town that they burnt down to the ground, the all black, they had all black businesses at black wall street, black banks, they had, you know, black schools, everything. And they, you know, they just, it, they weren't bothering anybody. They weren't taking anything because all the customers were black. All the businesses were black. Um, but what they didn't like is, you know, black people having any level of success, you know? And so how do you do it by, but by, tearing down, you know, what they built, you know, and, and, you know, just again, causing drama, trauma and, and grief, you know? So it really, I think stems out of that, you know, yeah. and I think any person of color can understand that. Um, uh, anybody that's not a like white European person really can understand it. And not that, not that they can't either, you know, I don't want to, to be on this podcast and, and anyone think that, you know, I'm not, I'm being, you know, not inclusive of folks, but it's just the real truth, yeah. you know, like this, this is the experience and history. It doesn't make people that we know and that are our friends, it doesn't make you bad people, but you know, we all have to be real about, you know, how this country was built and how that affects everything that we do, you know, on the, all, on the, all, all the way down to arts and culture. It's, it's, it's a part of everything, you know? Yeah. So 
I mean, I, that's what I think. Yeah. I definitely think, no, I definitely think like, um, even now, like the, the structures in place and the power dynamics in place really prevent people from working together and like dismantling their, I guess, like internet intergenerational trauma, because we're still living through more trauma. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So we haven't figured it out yet. And I say yet, because I think there are people who are on that path and interested in this kind of cooperative way of functioning and business. I think the nonprofit model is a disaster. That's what I wrote my thesis on. It's just, it's not a sustainable model for anybody, large or small now. I think larger organizations are starting to realize that because funding is running out, right? Um, But small organizations always knew that because you don't have as many resources and bodies to actually like, you know, make the thing happen and do the art and do the grants and do the donor relations. You know, it's just like and, and, and. And when you have an organization like mine, that's like one led by one person and even in a volunteer, voluntary capacity, it's just not a sustainable model, you know? So I talk about that all the time because people are like, yeah, we should apply for some grants. You know, like there's like a magical golden pot of money out there and that, you know, it, it, People have this level of compassion for for, you know, your thing when that's not necessarily the truth. Most people that you're writing to on those grant panels don't know anything about the arts. And and I know because I've sat on them, you know, and very often they are not connected to the arts as an artist. They're usually arts administrators Mm -hmm. or. Well, people in the in the organizations that are funding organizations that are deemed, you know, worthy of like giving out the money, you know, but that that doesn't make them, you know, an artist or even care about what you do. They want to see how many typos you have. And, you know, um, you know, were you able to complete everything? Do you have everything attached? Like, even though they have one working CD, they ask for three, you know, so. You get disqualified because you don't have that. And so it becomes about elimination and not people think it's like, but I, I had such a good, you know, uh, application. It's just like you probably did. But, you you know, for, for whatever reason, they work to eliminate people, yeah. you know, and then those who typically have the resources already are the people who continue to get funded. Yeah. So. That makes sense because um, I worked for the Navy for like three years and it was like on research and every single like proposal and grant had to be like done based off of administrative stuff and not so much like what the mission of the research project was which isn't it it crazy you could have a great project and like here's i have the cure for cancer i just need to look something up you know like you know and if you didn't if it was like not the right amount of like 1.5 spacing instead of two it's so stupid. Anyways, um, shifting the, the conversation back a little bit and then we'll head into the rapid fire questions. Um, I did want to talk about what is the power of hip hop tying that with your organization? Like why hip hop? What makes you want to, you know, be give back to it, share it? Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Thank you for that one. That That's not one that I get a lot, but I feel like at the time, number one, I was a lot younger when I started it. You know, we're hitting our 18th year. But before that, I was, you know, young when I started my um, the dance company. So at, I feel like hip hop is a youth culture. So at the time, that was my everything. Um, but I think hip hop street club dance communities were where I was able 
to train mm -hmm. and perform and express myself as a dancer. It's the only space that I was I was giving that given that lane and allowed to. So of course that. And then just if you think musically, you know, it is very connected to what I grew up listening to, which is like jazz, R and B. You know, and when I say R and B soul, like I mean like Stevie Wonder, that kind of stuff, disco, um, rock. You know, Jimi Hendrix and and then like world music, what used to be called world music, which is like Afrobeats and stuff now, but like Fela back then, you know, like, you know, my mom just had such an amazing, and then all, you know, to pop music, the Beatles and, you know, she had such an amazing taste in music. And so for me, obviously the music was also such a huge draw, you know, and I feel like hip hop was empowering to people of color. You know, it's, it was created by people in marginalized communities for reasons of survival and, and giving them voice and, and power to fight back. And I don't mean physically, I just mean like mm -hmm. it's the system, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it, it, to me, for every reasons it spoke to me. And, uh, and so it was, it enabled me to do what I wanted to do without any kind of the confines of like ballet or, you know, like you're not valid if you haven't trained since you were five or whatever, you know, it was about showing and proving you had to come in, learn and the, the, the level of like talent that it takes to improv to a song and like make it, you know, level it up in that moment as, as, as almost like a performative kind of thing is far beyond somebody studying the same move for the for 300 years you know what i mean mm -hmm. so for all those reasons like it, it it was just a natural kind of thing for me yeah amazing um just wanted to ask you one more question which is if you had to tell somebody who's thinking about pursuing a dance a career in dance right now what would you say to them <laughs> um i have no advice <laughs> okay uh, I feel like if it's something that you love, even if, and this is for anything, even if the path is blocked for any reason, find another way to, to do it. Find another way to be part of it. My thing was, I always wanted to be a backup dancer. I know we talk about it like it's bad, but I was like, I want to be on stage and dancing with my favorite artists. Me too. But, but I, you know, when I started professionally dancing, when I founded the company, I was 28 and we all know not so much now, but definitely back then by 28, that's you, you're way out of the window. And I still didn't know how to audition or count back then, you know? So, and, and, and also opportunities, like you had to know people, yeah. you know, you had, to, you had to, you really had to either live in LA or, or New York. That was, you know, and I was in none of those places. So Laser hip hop, my own dance company, all of that was born out of like realizing that is not a possible path for me, you know? So, but I'm still going to be part of it in some way, shape or form. So how, and that was me figuring that out. And so you just have to realize like, maybe you're not going to be a prima ballerina, you know, maybe not, you know, that's, that's hard. It's a lot of work, it's time. And maybe life doesn't really, you know, lend itself like that, or you get injured or whatever happens, you know? If it's something that you love, then become an administrator and change the the male misogynistic world of ballet because ballet is still that world. You yeah. know, it's not just hip hop. And as a lot of people love to, to give that title to hip hop, but ballet is just as bad. Absolutely. You know, and so then become a a, a change agent for what you care for. You know, so yes, love that. Okay, rapid fires. We'll try to go through them as quickly as possible. Um, okay. A moment that you can think of that instantly brings you joy. Oh, motherhood. Love Being a mom. It. 
Uh, yeah. Love that. Um, one thing about you that people don't know that you wish they knew. Oh my God. <laughs> um, that one, one thing that I, people don't know about me. I don't think people know very much about me, oh. but uh, I've been, I've been, I, I guess going back to family, you know, my husband and I've been together for over 25, 26 years, something like that. We, well, we met in 93. So whatever, do that math. Oh my gosh. That's older than me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's sick. That's yeah. So cool. Um, it is- <laughs> your, your favorite um, music artist right now. Uh, oh gosh, don't kill me. Somebody's gonna, somebody's gonna kill me for this one, but I really love Kalani. I know that I probably like, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't, but I, I don't know. I like her as an artist. I feel like she could be poppy, but I feel like she can sing with, you know, like she's done collaborations with people who I really like am- admire and are really soulful and have music, like, like music soul child. And, you know, some of the older artists, I feel like she could she channels that in a fresher way. I see that. that. Yeah. Um, something that you appreciate about yourself. Mm-hmm. Something that I appreciate about my, I guess my determination, you know, definitely like, very determined. Definitely. Um, and then lastly, a quote or affirmation that resonates with you. Uh, a quote or affirmation. Can it be one that I say? Yeah, of course. Um, I have this quote that I always say that like in any kind of speech that I'm giving, don't let where you supposed to be take where you go. Cause I think we get caught up in like, I was supposed to do this, you know, or I was supposed to be this, mm-hmm. you know, but okay, maybe that's not possible, but like, what are all the things that are possible, which is an infinite amount of things. One more time for me, because my uh, internet lagged out a little bit. Um, so can you please repeat it? Yeah. Oh yeah, it's this this we this does does uh take repeating. Let's repeat it a lot. Don't let where you were supposed to be dictate where you go. Absolutely. Yeah. So good. Thank you so much. This was so inspiring. I feel like I learned so much and I still have a thousand questions to ask you, but <laughs> we're short on time for today. So um maybe we'll do another one eventually someday, um, if you're ever like free. Um Absolutely reach out whenever you want. I'd love to come back. And thank you. You had such great questions. Um, I can't wait to hear. Absolute chills. Don't let where you're supposed to be stop you from going where you're going to go. And everything else she said about being collaborative and giving back to her community because it has given so much to her and that she wanted to empower all the women in her life. Like, I resonated so much with all of that and I hope you did as well and I'm really happy that this was the last episode that I ended this season on. Again, thank you so much for listening whether this is your first episode, this is your last episode, you listened to all of them or you know you popped in here and there. I'm really really grateful and yeah I'll catch you the next time I upload a individual episode.